0: You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. We live in in an age of information overload. Wouldn't you say that's probably true? You know, you start to think about all the information that's out there and it's at our fingertips. I think about Google and how you can, I don't know how many pages now these days that Google will search in an instant for you. I think about Wikipedia and then, and you know, you can trust everything on Wikipedia, I guess. That's what they say. Social media. It seems like we live in an age where, where we are consuming information at a frenzied pace. And maybe this has happened to you. I hate to admit that it's happened to me before, but I click on a link, and that leads me to another link, and that leads me to another link, and pretty soon I've I've wasted who knows how much time just consuming information that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't help me with anything. I, I read a quote from a man named Bertram Gross. He's a professor of political science at Hunter College, and in 1964, he said this, information overload occurs when the amount of input to a system exceeds its processing capacity. You ever feel that way where you've got too much coming in and you can't make a decision? He says decision makers have fairly limited cognitive processing capacity. Not sure what that means. That was irony there. Okay, consequently, when information overload occurs, it is likely that a reduction in decision quality will occur. And you've probably been there before as well where you have so many choices that you don't make a good choice. That's what he's talking about. And if he was talking about that in 1964, information overload, can you imagine what the new definition in his mind of information overload would be over 50 years later? We've got information all over the place. And the problem with it is most of the information out there for consumption is either trivial or not essential to life's priorities meaning it's not helpful. When I was a, a teenager, I used to, and for some reason, this was the nerd in me as a young man, I used to get a World Almanac every year, and I would just read it. Just like to read the, the things in there, the trivia in there. I, I like statistics from sports. I would read about that. And my parents used to ask me random questions that I would have useless trivia answers for. They would ask me these questions that I, that I would be, be able to tell them And it didn't really matter. It wasn't of any use. It was just knowledge for knowledge's sake. Was it interesting? Maybe. But was it helpful? No, it wasn't. And that's the age in which we live, where there's information out there. We've become information junkies, constantly consuming. You can scroll through social media for hours a day, just consuming and consuming, but really having no practical application or outlet for it. You could say that we're consumed with peripheral information. Information that lies on the outside of what is important. Peripheral. And it may be interesting, but it serves little purpose. We constantly take it in, but it doesn't do us good because there's not an outlet for it. On the other side, there is what I will call for today's purposes privileged information. And as opposed to unimportant information that's available to the masses, as at the touch of a screen, this information is only available to certain people. And it's not trivial, it's important. If we were to go to the CIA or the FBI or speak with those of you that have been, been in the military, we might would call it intelligence. It's information on a need-to-know basis. And only those with certain security clearance get, are able to get privileged information, they have the inside scoop because they, what they know is very important. And I use that as a transition into this, that what a child of God knows is privileged information. What a child of God knows is pretty important. Because John uses the word know 30 times in this letter. So what that tells me as I read this and you see the word know, you see the word know is that to John, the Christian life is, is to be lived with information in mind. He's not looking for us to simply go out and do what we're doing. No, he wants us to know, to be assured of something, to have confidence in something as we live the Christian life. He's not looking for, for the family of God to just go out and go through the motions. No, he wants us to know something. To know means to see. It means to understand It means to be convinced of something. And what you know, folks, listen, what you know determines how productive and effective and satisfied that you're going to be as a family member. And by family member, I mean family traits, a member of God's family, the traits that are evidence to the fact that you are part of the family. In other words, there's some privileged information that family members need to know. See, I view this letter a little bit like a a family conversation, You ever have a family conversation? When I was a teenager, my dad would would call all the family in and say, we need to have a family talk. That never inspired confidence in this teenage boy. Because usually the family talk was centered on something that I had done, and I was in trouble for it. Well, you have family conversations. You know what those are, where you sit the family around the table, and you have a conversation that's necessary and needed at that time in your family's life. We do that sometimes. We sit around and say, okay, here's a family conversation. And listen, this is family talk. This is just for our family. You don't take this information and you go share it with somebody else. This is insider information. This is privileged information. You have to be a member of the family to know this. That's what John's talking about. Sometimes you sit down as a family. Well, he writes, he sits down as a family member and he writes a letter. And he says, here's some privileged information that only family members can know. It's confidential. You know, this is important. John makes it clear. Here's what the family member knows, and this is not peripheral. Because here's the point that he's making, is what a Christian knows convinces him or her that their faith is real. See, what, what, what you know, the information that you have, that's how you know your faith is real. And that's why John wrote things like, In 1 John 2, hereby we know that we know Him if we keep His commandments. 1 John 3, we know that we have passed from death unto life because we love the brethren. 1 John 3, 24, hereby we know that He abideth in us by the Spirit which He hath given us. 1 John 5, these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. So, you, And this is just a small sampling of John using the word know. To know as a child of God is essential to your faith. Knowing, being assured of, seeing something clearly. It's not just a helpful part of the Christian life. It's not one of those, well, you know, you can, you can do this or you don't have to. This is optional. No, this is essential for your Christian life. The privileged information for the child of God is what convinces them of their position in Christ. We aren't convinced by emotion. There's a lot of churches, a lot of religions, a lot of doctrines out there that say you are convinced by your experiences. You are convinced by what you experience or what you feel in the moment. But listen, that, if that's the case, we'd be all over the place because there are some days where I just don't feel like a child of God. I wake up and I don't feel very much saved. I, 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 if I was operating that way, there'd be times where if I'm, if I'm given a choice between right or wrong, and I say, well, I'm going to go with what I feel like, I'm not going to make the right choice. No, see, we listen, we operate by truth. We operate based on what we know. This is not about what we wish to be true. This is not wishful thinking or blind hope or blind faith. No, we have evidence. We have things that we can know, and John is giving us a lot of good information about how we can know that we're part of the family. John's message has been, I don't just want you to hope. I don't just want you to wish. I don't just want you to feel like you're part of the family. I want you to know. I want you to have some privileged information that few people have. I want you to know where you stand with God. And you say, well, a lot of people know that. Well, do they? In our culture, would you still say that a lot of people, they know where they stand with God? Probably not. A lot of people out there that they don't even believe there is a God. And John is saying, I want you to know, you can know where you stand with God beyond a shadow of a doubt, with absolute certainty, beyond wishes, beyond hopes, beyond feelings, beyond shots in the dark. You know. Friend, do you know? Do you know? Is your faith based on what your parents told you happened to you as a child? Is it based on a faith, uh, maybe some kind of a a glimmer of hope? Say, well, I don't know that anybody can really know. I'm hoping that this is true. Is it based on what someone else did for you? Is it based on baptism? Is it based on your family and your your grandfather was a pastor? And is it based on your good intentions? Is it based on you hoping that your works are good enough? Or is it established on evidence, the kind of evidence that John says, if you see this, you know? Amen. Things like obedience to God. If you and your life have never lived in any moment in obedience and submission to God, then you have reason to think you probably don't know. And I'm not trying to cause anybody to doubt their salvation, but, but friend today, I want you to look at evidence. I don't want you to feel a certain way or hope a certain thing. Look at evidence. Is there obedience to God in your life? Look at the evidence. Do you have sacrificial love for other people? Look at the evidence. Is the presence of the Holy Spirit real in your life? Look at the evidence. Do you have Jesus Christ? Listen, you can know. You can know. And I pray that you do. But if you don't, you're missing out on some eternally important privileged information. See, when you're a family member, you get to know what a lot of people only wish they could. And in our text, John gives three very significant pieces of privileged information that are only known by family members. And, and, and I, don't, I want to be careful to present this because I'll bring this around. I want to be careful to present it like only certain people get to know this. See, we'll find out later it's not just privileged information or it is privileged information But it's not just selected for a certain group of people. It's available. See, and I want to present them these three pieces of privileged information that only the child of God gets to know. And as I do, I want you to evaluate, is is this the kind of information you'd like to know? And second, if you do know this, I want you to evaluate whether or not you're taking it for granted. Three pieces of privileged information every family member can know. Here's the first one. It's going to be simple this morning. You can have victory over sin. You can have victory over sin. Look at verse 18. I love this one. This ought to make us happy. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. You know, we've dealt with similar thoughts in this letter already, but just to reiterate the point, there is some confusion at times when you see a phrase like, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. That's a little confusing, and we've dealt with it before in this in this uh, book already. John is not saying that someone that is saved will never sin again. He just spent, look, look at verses 16 and 17. Think about what he just talked about. If any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. Look at verse 17, all unrighteousness is sin and there is a sin not unto death. So based on those verses, do you think that John now in verse 18, when he says, a child of God sinneth not, do you think he's saying a child of God can never sin? No, based on the fact that in the two previous verses, he just got done saying, if you see your brother, a family member, if you see him sin, pray for him. He just said, if there, there is a sin not unto death, pray for that person. So he's not saying that a person, when he says sinneth not, he's not saying that they never sin. We talked about this a couple months ago. The word sinneth is in the present continuous sense. It means continually sinning. It means the practice or practicing sin. John's message, here it is. John's message is that a genuine member of the family will not live in a continuous state of practicing sin it's not going to happen in chapter 3 here in chapter 5 John clearly states a child of God that experiences the new birth now has a new nature and will give evidence to what he is by his life in short folks in short if it's real a person born of God will live in a way that pleases God not continually practicing sin and it's like the saying, and I've heard this, if a pig falls in the mud, he stays there. That's his nature. If a sheep falls in the mud, he wants to get out and get cleaned up. And I don't know a lot about pigs and sheep, but that is supposed to represent the old sin nature and the new nature. And the, the point of that is if you're genuinely part of the family, you will not be comfortable living in sin for very long. Our conscience will be heavy. You ever been in sin and you knew you are in sin and you know it's not right, man. I can hardly sleep at night. My conscience weighs on me. My heart is heavy. I have a heaviness in my chest. My, I'm unsettled. You know, we'll know that we aren't in the right place. You can't linger there long without knowing. I just, I, I don't know how long it's possible to continue there. I'm not going to put a time frame on it. All I know is that John says, even though a genuine member of the family can sin, he won't practice it continually. He's not going to stay there. So what John wants us to know is this, though, about sin. This is important. You have a choice. You now have a choice. See, before salvation, we could only serve sin. But now that we're saved, we've been placed in Christ through the cross, through that death on the cross. Romans 6, 6, 7 says, we that are saved are now freed from sin. What a great verse. We that are saved are now freed from sin. In that same chapter, Paul talks about knowing. And he says, knowing that Christ didn't just die, but that he rose from the dead on the third day, meaning he has power over death, and he has given us that same resurrection power over sin. Romans six eleven, same chapter, he says, likewise reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Romans 6, 12, he said, Let no sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in the lust thereof, neither yield you your members as as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead, for sin shall not have dominion over you. Listen, I love Romans 6. If you ever get to the place where you think, well, I'm bound by this, I have no choice, I'm stuck in sin, there's no option... Go read Romans 6 and tell me you don't feel better about it. Because Paul very clearly says, he that is dead, he that has been saved is now freed from sin. And you say, well, all that sounds confusing. I don't know. Well, maybe a little. There's a lot of doctrine over in Romans 6, a lot of rich truth, but the point is this. If you're a child of God, you don't have to serve sin anymore. You don't have to. And in the same way that Christ died and rose from the grave... You have died to that old nature. You've been given victory over sin. Listen, now you just have to choose. The great thing is, though, that you have a choice. It used to be that you had no option. It used to be that you were a servant of sin, and you had to live bound to it, but now you can be free. It would be like if you go to prison for some reason or another, and you're in prison for a while, and they finally give you your papers, and they say you can leave, and yet, and you have the option to leave now, but you choose to stay in prison. That's what, if, if we could picture or sum up what many children or child of God in this world, in our culture, in our churches are doing, that's the way that they're living. God has given them their walking papers. He said, you can be free. You can walk out of the prison of sin right now. And yet they go back in the cell like Barney Fife in Mayberry. He leaves the key on the door. Otis walks in. Saturday nights, right? You've been there. You've seen it. He walks in. He unlocks the cage. He goes into into the cell, locks the door, and sleeps it off. And then when he's ready, he just reaches over, grabs the key, opens it again, and walks out. I don't know why a Mayberry Connection illustration came up, but, you know, I was inspired by the Holy Spirit, apparently. that's how a lot of us are living though that's right. yeah. we're Otis and this is getting good we're Otis <laughs> the key's right on the wall the, the door might even be open but we're still sleeping it off right. God has given you victory over sin you've been placed in Jesus Christ I don't know how it works but you died with him you rose with him you have victory over sin and I'm thankful we have a choice look at the second part of verse 18 it's a little bit confusing. The meaning has been debated. It says, he that is be, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Some say this refers that the person that's been begotten of God. Some say it refers to Jesus Christ. Others say this refers to the believer himself. It says he keepeth himself. Now, I, I don't ever want to stand up here and preach, well, I know this is what I think, and this is what I believe. If I'm not sure, I'm going to try to be honest with you. Keep means to guard or protect. So the question is, who is doing the guarding? Well, I don't want to be a compromiser today, but I'm going to say that both are true. If this is referring to Jesus Christ keeping us, that's true. If this refers to us guarding ourselves against sin, that's true. See, when it comes to guarding my heart, Proverbs 4.23 says, I ought to be diligent about that, keeping or guarding my heart. Ephesians 6 talks about the armor. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. I I hold the shield. I I put on the the helmet. I'm protecting myself. It is my responsibility to keep and guard myself. At the same time, I also know that Christ is responsible to protect my soul from sin and eternity. 2 Timothy 4. I love this verse. It says, And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom. What a great truth. 2 Timothy 4.18. So what I'm saying today is, I may not be absolutely sure of the meaning here, but I know this, I have a responsibility to protect my heart and life from sin. God and Jesus Christ also have a responsibility, they've taken upon themselves to protect and guard me from sin. And here's the thing, I know that God will always do his part. The question comes whether or not I'm going to do my part. Whether or not I will guard myself, whether or not I will set up safeguards, and I will be sure that I stay pure from sin, that God will always protect and will always guard and will always preserve. But the problems usually lie when I don't make the choice to protect myself. And that's the the point that I've come away with here. That structure is all I need then for the last phrase to happen in verse 18. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not. But he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that wicked one toucheth him not. Well, you talk about emphatic. You talk about emphatic. John is saying, listen, if a child of God is living as he should, he won't continue in sin. And Christ protects him. He keeps and guards himself. Whatever the structure is, here's one thing we know. That wicked one can't touch him. That wicked one has no control, he has no authority, he has no power over your life. Satan has no chance of disrupting God's plan for my protection against sin. He can't do it. And I'm thankful for this truth today. I'm thankful that that I have confidence that if I will trust God and I will guard for myself my life against sin, Satan has no stronghold. God is so strong, his victory over sin is so sure. Nothing can touch us. The only reason that we find ourselves entrapped and snared by Satan's devices is when we make the choice to no longer protect ourselves. You say, well, what about Job? Satan sure did affect him. Well, that's true. Physically, Satan did come and he attacked Job. It took just about everything Job had, but he couldn't touch Job's soul. That was secure. That was safe. And in all of that, it says that Job sinned not. Now, I know Job didn't have all of his mindsets right, but I'm thankful for that truth and the example that even when Satan attacks us physically, he can't touch your soul. Satan cannot come in and make you do something against your will. Now, he sure can trick us, and he can lie, and he can deceive, but any time we sin, folks, it's because we're making the choice. And that's the first piece of privileged information is that you can have victory over sin. You may be bound by some sin today. Maybe in your life there's lust. Nobody else sees it, nobody else knows it, but you have a phone man in your pocket and you're consumed by the sin of lust. Listen, you can have victory over sin. Jesus Christ has provided that. Maybe your sin is the sin of greed and you're out to make the bottom, you're out to, uh, to increase or or help your bottom line you're trying trying to make money and you want more and you want more and you want more stuff and that's your sin your sin of greed you just want more and more sin does not have to bind you you don't have to be bound you don't have to serve sin you can have victory over even greed some of us deal with anger you deal with anger and it's out of control and you off the I mean just anything sets it off flying off the handle at your wife or your your husband or your children are on the streets while you're driving and you're bound and you're but but let me remind you if you're bound by sin you're the one that has closed the cell to that to that prison you're choosing to live there you don't have to you've been freed bitterness some addiction selfishness if you're part of the family you don't have to be sin's servant it's time to utilize the power that's available if you're not part of the family you can know what it's like to be free from sin. That's privileged information piece number one. The second is that you don't have to live in the mess. You don't have to live in the mess. Look at verse 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. <clears throat> Life is messy. You know, you look around and it, it's just all a mess. When we submit ourselves to the world system, everything's convoluted. This world is a mess. I mean, and you may not think so, and maybe, what, but it's a mess. When God and truth aren't directing lives, the effects of sin are chaos. Destruction. Romans 3.16 says, destruction and misery are in their ways. This world is full of violence. It's full of hatred. It's full of greed and lust and broken homes and lawsuits, immorality, full of misery, you name it. A world without the influence of God and that is ruled by sin. I'm just gonna say it's a disaster out there. John uses the word wickedness in verse 19. He just talked about the wicked one in verse 18. What he's doing here is he's contrasting those that are of God and those that are not of God. And he says, those that are of God, he says in verse 19, we know that we are of God. And he's saying, we are in one position but the world lieth in wickedness i mean it's it's been raised by sin it's been flattened i mean it's just in heaps it's just destroyed and there's destruction everywhere when you're of god the results are drastically different than when you live under the influence of satan that wickedness when god is involved life is much different than when he's not and i could go around the room and i could ask to talk to some of you that have been saved more recently in your adult years, and I think about Gabe, and Gabe down here just got saved a few years ago. And ask him the difference in the life that he has now that he's of God and the life that he used to experience when the whole world was lying in wickedness and he was underneath its influence. Just go around the room, and and I'm not going to point anybody else out, but I just know there are people in this room, and I was saved as a young man. I was saved as a child, so I didn't have to see the differences as starkly, And I'm thankful for that. But just go around the room and ask somebody that got saved as an adult that used to live in the misery and the mess and the destruction and ask them if life is better with God. You don't have to live in the mess. And some of you are making the choice to stay there. But I'm telling you, life is better when you are of God. Reminds me of James 4 and James is contrasting earthly wisdom and heavenly wisdom. You probably remember that passage over there. Here, whenever you submit yourself to wisdom that's not from above, wisdom that's from below, here, here's the, here are the words James uses to define that kind of earthly wickedness. He says, here's the result, bitter envying. You ever been in an environment, maybe in a workplace, that was controlled by kind of this spirit of, of everyone just trying to, out, to get the other one and 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 climb the corporate ladder and there's just bitterness and there's envy and there's constant strife. That's the second word, strife. When you live down here in the mess, you've got bitterness, you've got envy, you've got strife. You've got deception, he says. You've got, uh, he uses the word sensual, which is talking about lust. He uses the word devilish, confusion, every evil work. So that's one list. When you kind of live in the mess, those are the words that describe your life. But when you live with heavenly wisdom, here are the words that James uses. Pure, peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, which means it's not hard to get along with them, full of mercy, impartial, without hypocrisy or genuine. So let me just ask you, which one sounds better to you? If you live in the mess, you're going to have bitterness, you're going to have envy, you're going to have strife and deception and every evil work and confusion. But if you live according to God's wisdom, heavenly wisdom, then you get to experience purity and peace and gentleness and mercy. You get to enjoy sincerity. Listen, according to John, God cleans up your mess. You don't have to live there anymore. This world, because of sin, it's a mess. But Jesus Christ came about 2,000 years ago to step in and clean up the messes if we'll let him. Your life, it might be a mess this morning. Earthly wisdom has led you to that strife and that bitterness and that envy and all of the bad stuff and all of the stuff you just hate dealing with. You're dealing with the consequences of living according to the world's system and that wicked one's system. But Jesus Christ came and died for you. And his message is this, I came to clean up your mess. Listen, you just have to unlock the door and let him in to start the cleanup process. If you have a mess that's a result of a lot of sinful choices, Jesus Christ comes to offer salvation to the whole world, including you. You don't have to live in the mess. Reminds me of a song we sang in Sunday school even just this morning. Higher Ground. Higher Ground. Just listen to, it reminds me of the lyrics to Higher Ground. Second verse, my heart is no desire to stay where doubts arise and fears dismay. That's, that, that's the mess. He says, though some may dwell where these abound, and there are plenty that do dwell where those things abound. Though some may dwell where these abound, my prayer, my aim, it's higher ground. I want to live above the world though Satan's darts at me are hurled. For faith has caught the joyful sound, the song of saints on higher ground. Lord, lift me up and let me stand by faith on heaven's table land, a higher plane than I have found. Lord, plant my feet on higher ground. Listen, when you're of God, you you, you can live above the mess. But if you try to leave God out of your life, your life will always be in the mess. It'll always experience that earthly wisdom. It'll always be dealing with the consequences of sin. That's the second piece of privilege information for the family, is that you don't have to live in the mess. So you you can have victory over sin. You can live above the mess. And here's the third thing. You can have a real relationship with the one true God. Look at verse 20. He says, And we know that the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. John really sums up in this verse, he sums up the major claims that he makes in this letter in, in this one verse. See, Jesus Christ really came to earth. He did. And his coming gave us a picture of the true God. Family members are in the true God. Family members are in God's Son, Jesus Christ. I'm just summarizing. And Jesus Christ, he says, is the true God and the only source of eternal life. He kind of gives us an abridged summary of what he's been talking about, his major points. And we've talked about these points along the way at different times. But I want to focus on one phrase today to remind you of the kind of privileged information that you can have as a family member because he says here in verse 20... He says that we may know him that is true. We can know him. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given to us an understanding that we may know him that is true. You understand what he's saying here? This is everything to John's letter. It's all been about the importance, folks, of knowing God. You can know God. When Christ came, here's how we first saw it. When Christ came, what he did was he came and he revealed the Father to the world. Christ came and God in a body walked around and showed people what God is like in a human body. He gave him a glimpse. He gave him a look. He gave him a real walking, talking, breathing picture of what God is like. Jesus Christ let us see what God is like in a way the world has never seen before. And he says, he uses the word understanding. He says that we we know the Son of God has come and hath given us an understanding. That word understand means insight. So I want you to think about that word, insight. Think about it. We got a glimpse of God. Jesus Christ came and he walked and he breathed and he taught and he did miracles and he lived righteously and he did right and he was holy. It was insight. Insight. He gave us insight into God. What used to just be kind of a, uh, maybe an intangible view of God, now it's in sight. We have an understanding. We actually see what God is like. We have a glimpse of the one true God. He's real. It's true. We saw him in Jesus. And Christ's coming makes it possible to know the one true God. Folks, you can know God. You talk about privileged information. This is not wasting an afternoon chasing Google links. When Christ came, he gave us insight to God. And we can, in our measly, limited, finite human brains, we can understand God because of Christ. Let me tell you something you can know. You can know the one true God because of Jesus Christ. He's not unapproachable. He's not unconcerned. He's not too high for you. No, he sent his son to come down to our level. He loves us so much that he pursued you through his son's sacrifice on the cross. Of all the privileged information in God's family, this is the biggest piece. You can know the one true God. You can actually have a relationship with the creator of the universe. And listen, scientists and philosophers And college professors, the world's greatest thinkers out there, they spent thousands of years trying to attempt to answer questions like, what is life all about? Why are we here? Where are we going? Where did life begin? Why is there evil? Is there a God? What does he look like? Where does he live? What is he like? How do we get to heaven when we die? Is that it? All these questions for thousands of years, and they don't seem to have any easy answers and the great thinkers, the greatest thinkers, will call them, say, well, you can't know that. I have a philosophy about it, but no one can truly know. So they're left pontificating and they're left questioning and scratching their heads. And while all the while their hearts remain unsettled, they don't know. Meanwhile, 2,000 years ago, there's a bunch of average Joes and, and average Josephines. And they're in a room and they're opening an envelope. And in that envelope is a letter, and it's from a guy named John. And they're just average people. They're not world-renowned philosophers. They're not world-renowned thinkers. No, they're not famous. Nobody knows them. But they read this letter, and they realize that being part of the family means they're privy to some pretty privileged information. And by accepting Christ, they know the one true God. God and sitting in buildings much like this one all around the world right now, today, in Sioux Falls and in other places all around the world, there are groups of people, we're not famously intelligent. I mean, intelligent, yes, but not famous for it. They don't have a bunch of advanced degrees. We don't have many patents. We're not inventors. We're not leading in the tech fields. Our brains are not setting the world on fire, but we're sitting and they're sitting in rooms just like this one and they can know the one true God. No, see, listen, I'm not standing up here saying, well, I have privileged information, and I'm more important. No, this is not a matter of pride, because without God revealing all of this to us through Jesus Christ, I would not know anything. The only reason I know and you know is because God in His grace willingly let us see Himself through Jesus Christ His Son. It's not about pride. All it took was a recognition of sin and an acceptance of Christ's payment for it on the cross, and believing what God says in His Word, it's actually the opposite of pride. It has nothing to do with me. All I had to do was admit that I can't do anything about my eternal soul, about my eternal life, and all it took was for me to just have humility, and now I can know. Amen. And while the world, world is full of people a thousand times smarter than I'll ever be, who right now still can't figure out what life actually means, Because they're looking to themselves for answers. Yet there's a building here in Sioux Falls, Eastside Baptist Church, full of normal people who probably can't solve advanced physics problems, but they know the answers to some of the biggest questions of life. Why? Because God gave us a book and we opened it and we saw Christ and we believed what He said and we accepted it by faith. And now, folks, we get to know, we have understanding. We have insight. We know him that is true. We're in him. We're in his son, Jesus Christ. We know the son of God who's the source of eternal life. We know that a family member is untouchable by the wicked one. We know that we're protected by God himself. We know that the world sits under Satan's influence and under his power in a mess, but we don't have to. Why? Because we know. It's not about intelligence, it's not about IQ. It's not about special privilege. It's about a willingness to admit that you don't know anything, and therefore you must humble yourself enough to believe that God, what God reveals about himself is true. You accept it by faith, not because you've earned it, not because you deserve it, but because you choose to believe that God's word is true, that his son was real and really lived here, that his word is right, and we have special privileged information like God is our father. We are his children. We have a new nature. We're joint heirs with Jesus Christ. We're citizens of heaven. And nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. We don't have to live in sin. We can live above the mess. We can have a real walk, relationship, with the one true God. This information is so privileged that only people who have Christ get to know it. But here's the kicker. This information is so public, anybody that wants to know can. Right. Amen. It's the most privileged information in the world, but at the same time, it's the most accessible information out there. Amen. It doesn't require security clearance. It doesn't require an advanced degree. You don't even have to read. You don't have to have a certain rank. You don't have to have a certain... Education or knowledge, you don't have to have certain Bible verses memorized. All you have to do, listen, all you have to do is humble yourself in light of the information given you. If you want to know, according to John 3:16, it's available to the whole world. And whosoever believeth in him can have everlasting life. Today, all it takes is humility. You want to know some special privileged information. Well, it's it's pretty exclusive, but it's also pretty inclusive. Anybody can know it. All you have to do is be humble enough to admit you're a sinner, humble enough to recognize that your sin has eternal consequences, and humble enough to trust in Jesus Christ alone to pay for your sins. And if you will humble yourself today, you can know the one true God. But for the Christian, you say, well, I have this information what now? Well, you have access to the privileged information. You can know things the world's smartest people are racking their brains right now to figure out. You can live free from sin, you can live above the world, and you can know God. And yet, I look around in this culture, maybe sometimes even at this church, people that come in, how many family members spend more time getting to know about everything but God? Listen, they're, they're all about their education, or they're all about their careers, They're all about working up the corporate ladder. They're all about doing this or doing that or spending time here or making more money. They've got all of these other things that they're trying to get to know. And all the while, the one thing that everybody else wishes they could know, the one true God, they spend very little time cultivating that relationship. And yet that's the one thing that if they know, they've got everything. See, I would submit this to you. You can know all there is to know. But if you don't know the one true God, you don't know anything. You can live your life trying to figure out and know all of these other things, but if you don't know the one true God, you don't know anything. All that privileged information is at your fingertips, Christian, child of God. It's all right here. You've got more more Bible co- copies of the Bible in your house than there are people in your house and yet you aren't living in such a way to get to know the one true God, and yet that's the most privileged opportunity a a human being could ever have. We have a world full of Christians that are Googling life. They're just jumping from one link to the next, and all the while the only source of information they really need sits unused. And the only person worth knowing sits alone. We're privileged people with privileged information. My question to you, Christian, today is what kind of attention are you giving to the information that matters the most? What kind of attention and cultivation are you putting into the relationship with the person that matters the most? And for that person in here who may be lost and you've never received Christ as your Savior, let me tell you this, this sure is privileged information, but it's available to everybody. And you can leave today with the same information all the rest of us in this room that have been saved have. You you don't have to live in sin. You can live above the world. And friend, you can know the one true God. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.